0: Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel, and welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change, leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, closing the digital skills gap with co-founder John Gottfried of Major League Hacking. John, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Darren. I'm really excited.
0: Hey, when we first talked and we only talked briefly because I didn't want to go too far because I wanted my I wanted my um, listeners to hear because what you guys are setting up super, super cool. But before we even get there, you got to tell me how you got started. Give me your (laughs) background because it's an unusual journey.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I um, had a zigzaggy path to where I am now. I you know, was always one of those kids tinkering with computers and, you know, the generation I'm from, I started out with uh, dial-up internet and floppy disks. And so slightly before, you know, the internet was ubiquitous everywhere, but I was hooked from the beginning and I wanted to do interesting things. And the only way to do it at that point in time was to learn some technical skills. Right. Like there was really no other way to make the computer do what I wanted. Um, and so I just did it out of necessity. I didn't really understand it as a career path. I didn't really think of it as a particular pursuit. It was just what I needed to to enjoy playing with my computer.
0: All right. So how did you do that back then? Because you can't just go to the Internet when the Internet wasn't really there. So and this may be hard for some of the younger listeners. What did you do to build up your skills gap at that time? <laughs>
1: So I would go to the local public library and check out a book. Um, at that point, it was uh, I was learning C, um, and then eventually learned PHP. And a lot of the times, the books would have uh, a floppy disk or a CD in the back with a compiler or interpreter on it, um, and I would just follow the examples in the book and see where that got me.
0: Well, I think that's how I, that's how I learned too. Yeah. Same thing, right? I'd go get a book at the library, or if I really wanted the book really bad, I'd, I'd spend my lawnmower money for it. Yep. Right. And then start tinkering around following the examples. I mean, I always said there's only one program ever written in the world Hello World. <laughs> yeah, basically. Everything else is just an adaptation to Hello World. Isn't that right?
1: P- pretty much.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I,
1: it's funny, like I, uh, kind of like lived through the growth of the internet. Like I remember very distinctly, you know, when we got DSL and then when we got cable internet, and then when we got, you know, fiber optic and like, you know, from the time I started with computers to the time I basically got to college, like in that sort of 20 year time frame, we went from nothing to fiber optic, you know, gigabit internet. Um, and so it was pretty cool like to, to live through that. And it, uh, I always like tell, you know, a lot of the students that, that we work with that maybe I was like the last generation to grow up without the internet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You probably, absolutely. Probably. Yep. All right. So that's how, so you tinkered pretty young then. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Pretty young. And, um, I didn't even really pursue computer science as, as a pursuit in college. Like I got a history degree. Uh, and so I, I kept tinkering and, and, Eventually, was able to sort of like parlay my tinkering skills into a part-time job that paid, you know, my bills when I was in college, and and that was how I got into tech. Um, there's kind of a, a funnier story about how I got my first job, but like that was how I first got employed as a programmer, a bad programmer.
0: But, yeah. <laughs> well, you're hit. I I used to say during the 1990s, I was in Silicon Valley during the dot-com boom if you had a pulse and you could type you were a programmer because they were in yep. such short short supply yeah um that uh, yeah there were tons of history majors that were programming php and back office stuff and yeah i was like wow cuz i just yep. went to four years of university and you know and learned how to program i thought well that's a whole nother story yeah. um i
1: mean the cool thing about it was that you kind of got to do everything like soup to nuts. Like I was yeah. the guy that was building the server rack in the back and then also writing the code that ran on it, you know, cause a lot of these were small businesses and they weren't at least for me, like they didn't have software engineering teams and it teams. It was like me and maybe someone else.
0: And that, those are the fun times, right? It, it was
1: a lot of fun. I, I definitely remember it very fondly though. You know, it's, it's, I can certainly accomplish more now. <laughs>
0: yeah so how has that changed how do you think that's changed now do you are there still some of those small back office hey i need i need a guy to rack and stack or has a cloud completely just consumed all that so those
1: jobs still exist actually, i actually think they'll always exist but developers are able to get up to speed much more quickly and build much more complex applications at the get-go right like you know I, I very like i remember all this frustration of like how do i even find somewhere to host my php website without renting a full <laughs> server you know like that, that is, is a so true yeah. yeah and and now it's like you go to aws you go to google cloud you go to literally like any provider out there and they all sell effectively like the same service it's almost been commoditized in a lot of ways and you just spin up a server and you're ready to go five minutes later
0: yeah that yeah before you used to have to is there an old box somewhere i can hook up or do i gotta go buy one um
1: yeah yeah i don't want to spend the whole time like reminiscing but like i i my dad used to take me to these things called computer shows right where it was Newegg in real life, you know, like you walk around and there's the motherboard stand and there's the memory stand yeah. and there's the like, you know, whatever. And, and that was how I built my first handful of computers. And, and it was fun. I mean, it's kind of nice not to have to do that now, but it was definitely a, a cool experience. Well,
0: and a great learning experience. All right. So all of this background that you have. Yeah. How did you get to where you're a co-founder of Major League Hacking? Yeah. Explain, explain that.
1: Sure. Are are you picking up that background noise? No,
0: not at all. Okay.
1: Sorry, there was like a loud uh, motorcycle in the background. So this is kind of the the weird, funny part of the story of how my career actually started. Uh, In college, um, like many people, I I caught mono, which is typically a non-life-threatening, but really not fun, uh, you know, sickness to have. And I took a semester off. And I went back to suburban New York where I, you know, my parents were, all my friends were gone. I had nothing to do. And once I was feeling better, I was bored out of my freaking mind. So I went on Craigslist and started applying for programming jobs to fill the time. And it just so happened that there was a edtech startup in Nyack, New York, which is like, it's probably the only startup in like a 50 mile radius. And They, for some reason, interviewed me off of Craigslist and hired me for a part-time programming job. And it was, like, this very scrappy, kind of cool little operation. But there were a few people there who were starting to get involved with this, like, nascent New York City tech scene that was springing up around the time. And we're talking, like, early 2000s. And they dragged me to these, like, meetups and hackathons that were going on in the city. and I, I honestly like wasn't that interested at, at the beginning, but after I went, it blew my mind and set me on this like course that is very directly related to those like first experiences that I had in, in the New York tech community.
0: So you you think it all came from from that then?
1: Yeah, I, if I hadn't caught mono, I'd probably be a history teacher
0: right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad you caught mono then, right? I know. But there's a lot of students that are probably missing out on a great teacher, is what I would say. Perhaps. How did how did Major League Hacking form then? Yeah, so
1: going to those tech events like completely changed my perspective of the industry. Um, part part of why I actually went into history instead of computer science is I really wanted to work with people, right? Like I cared a lot about helping people and teaching people and mentoring and like all of these things that I perceived to not really be part of a, a tech career. I think I perceived that incorrectly, but that was my perception at the time was that going into tech was like the movie office space where you kind of sat in a cubicle and like <laughs> filled out reports.
0: Um That's there's a lot to that by the way. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: You know, when I went to these community events and one of the first events I ever went to was this hackathon called Music Hack Day. It was such a like organic and interesting group of people. Like you had tinkerers, you had musicians, you had hardcore computer scientists, you had all of these different types gathering together just to like build cool stuff. And everyone was helping each other everyone was really supportive. It was incredibly collaborative. You know, you demoed your half working project at the end and everyone applauded. And like, that just totally blew my mind. And, you know, after that, I I was like, wow, like, maybe this is something I want to do more of. And so I started going to, you know, meetups and hackathons and all these different tech events, basically, like every every week. Um, And eventually, someone kind of noticed that i was super engaged and and helping out a lot and recruited me for a developer evangelist job and and you know from there um you know in retrospect it makes a lot of sense that i ended up doing mlh but like getting there was this very uh convoluted path it like. and convoluted yeah
0: yeah no oh, very cool all right so explain to me i mean we we call it we call this episode closing the skills gap yeah so what do you guys do and how does that help close this? Because there is a huge skills gap yeah. out there. We talked earlier a little bit. There's a, a big one in cybersecurity. There's uh-huh. absolutely one in AI right now. Um, and and other areas keep popping up where we've got skills gaps that we need to do. So is that why you get... It sounds like you didn't start this because of the skills gap. You started because you like to be a mentor. I, that's what I heard. Yeah. You like teaching. You like being out there and helping people you know realize maybe their dreams yeah i mean
1: the skills gap is a uh a way of abstracting away the like really personal problem we were solving you know myself and my co-founder swift like that's exactly it we wanted to be mentors we wanted to help people like and as developer evangelists um that was a big part of our job uh for me you know I started working with a lot of these student communities on campus, you know, going in to speak to, to classes of students, helping out at their hackathons. Um, and it was kind of inspiring, right? Like it was very much the thing that I wished I had when I was in school, but it didn't quite exist yet. Um, and so when we quit our jobs to start MLH, like it was very much leaning into that thing that we were already doing and trying to make, a, a, a you know, organization out of it. Um, what we do at MLH obviously is a little bit different than what, what it looked like when we started 10 years ago. So major league hacking is, uh, a mission driven organization first. Like it's important to understand that because it guides everything we do. Um, we're actually structured as a B Corp, which is a model that is gaining a lot of prominence, but maybe not everyone's heard of. It's, it's also known as a public benefit corp. Um, it is a for-profit company with a mission that the board and shareholders have to hold them to. Our mission is to empower hackers.
0: Now, wait, wait. wait. When you say hackers, there's different kinds of hackers. Yeah. right. These are not cybersecurity hackers, are they? These are like code developer guys, right? That's the kind of hacker you're talking? Or are you talking both?
1: Hacker is an intentionally broad term. Okay, um, all right. To us, it means anyone who wants to create with technology. Uh, We see people at our events writing code, front-end developers, back-end developers, hardware developers, cybersecurity folks, um, you know, like multimedia artists, like you see it all. Uh, So it's an intentionally broad term, and it is a little bit jargony, right? Like, I think if you asked my you know, grandpa, what a hacker is like, he'd probably have a very particular like image come to, to mind of like someone trying to steal his credit card. Yes. Exactly. That's not at all what we me mean. Right. Like we mean tinkerers and hackers in the, you know, hack the world, hack the planet sense, not the, the hacking into things sense. Gotcha. Um But, you know, to, what we do to empower those hackers is, is pretty broad at this point. So, we look at everything through the lens of how do we actually get people uh, the skills and support network they need to start their career. And, you know, that happens in a, in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, hackathons are what we've been known for the longest, uh, you know, weekend long invention competitions where people come together to build prototypes of crazy ideas like They're incredibly popular on college campuses. And, you know, we do about 300 a year uh, in in different schools. Um, Those events are attended by around 100,000 people. So it's become a pretty big phenomenon on campus. But that's really one of the main ways we help people build their skills is through hands-on projects. And that's extended into a multitude of different programs like meetups, workshops, virtual conferences, immersive, you know, 12-week fellowships but they all revolve around this idea of how do you take someone who has some like foundational interest or skills and then bridge the gap to, I can actually work on this in the real world and be effective.
0: So that's really interesting. Campuses obviously are, are a primary target. Do you work really closely with the individual campuses or there, or do you work closely with like IEEE or ACM or any? I mean, how, how do you have such a broad, you know, because you said 300, you're yeah. not doing one every day. You're doing several yep. every week. Yep. Um, so h- how do you build that connection with the universities? So
1: hacker communities have a little bit of a viral spread to them. What typically happens is all of our hackathons and and many of our other events are intercollegiate. So anyone can attend, Um, even non-traditional students, right? We have a lot of folks from boot camps going to events these days. So what happens is your friend drags you to an event and you have a life-changing experience and you go home and you're like, oh wow, I want to bring that to my school too. And so that's basically how all that's of how our stuff happened. Like, it's so viral. It, it's, it's the funny thing is like, we've basically never done marketing. Like it's just not <laughs> it's something we've touched and it's all happened by word of mouth.
0: Wow. That, that's well, that kind of goes into the whole um, social scene of hackers anyway, right?
1: It does. It, it's incredibly collaborative. It's incredibly like connected and, uh you know everyone i think has a has a similar reaction to i did where they like go to these events and communities and they're like this is amazing like this is something i want and so they figure out how to make it happen right and it looks slightly different at every every school and every community but um they all kind of share that same like you know, underlying cultural, like value of trying to create cool stuff and
0: learn. So, so what do you guys actually then provide? And let's say that, Hey, I want to do this at my school mm-hmm. or it doesn't even have to be a school, does it? It doesn't have to be a school. Um, I could do it in, I could do it in Folsom, California. We're going to have a hackathon in Folsom,
1: California. Right? Yeah. And, and there's actually a number of events that are like off campus, but for local students. So, um, We provide a lot of the, like, uh, mentorship, getting back to that, and connective tissue between all these communities, right? Because they might all exist as these isolated groups. We help bridge them together. So we work with every local, like, chapter leader and organizer to help them. Learn how to put on an event for the first time, or learn how to build a thriving community. Um, we connect them to people at other schools. We help them bring students in from many different campuses. We bring in sponsors that help, you know, pay for pizza at their events. Right? There's all of these different things that are basically enablement of local leaders to build their own communities that you know share similar values and culture, but all have their own flavor as well.
0: Oh, that that's super cool. All right, so. I love I love the idea of building the community, getting all that. How does someone like uh, a big corporation or even a small company? How do how do they get plugged in? Either maybe send even some of their employees to enjoy that commodity? but also how how am I how am I somehow injecting? Hey, I would love if the hacking community helped figure out this type of problem. Is that possible? And then also, of course, I want to hire some of these people, right? (laughs) Yeah, this
1: is kind of where we get to the whole digital skills gap thing, right? Right. So even the best computer science curriculums in the world are probably not using the same tools that companies use on a day-to-day basis in production. No, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're teaching foundational concepts. Right. Um, But it's still really important that you touch those real-world tools. So... Where companies come in is a lot of the time, they are the ones bringing the tools to the hackers. Um, these could be tools that are open source, like a React or you know a Python or something like that. They could be APIs and proprietary tools. Either way, you're giving someone exposure to a piece of technology that they perhaps never would have otherwise encountered. And then you're able to also like reward them for doing something interesting with the technology, with things like prizes for projects, um, and also mentor them directly on, you know, stumbling blocks and how to make the most of it. And so a lot of the events, like, do, do have corporate reps, like people will sponsor these events, maybe you send a couple engineers, maybe you send a recruiter, maybe you send a developer evangelist, but they spend the weekend with the students, like, debugging their code at night and talking about how cool their API is and, you know, giving out swag. And it's honestly a huge part of what makes these these events so exciting and successful. Like I I was talking to someone earlier and I, I was talking about how like hackathons are almost like a bait and switch learning initiative. Yeah, it kind Where of sounds like it a little bit. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you go in and you're like, I want to have a fun weekend with my friends and get free pizza and swag and like meet some companies. And you leave and you're like, Oh wow. Like I learned a lot from doing that. Um, like you're not going in to get a certification or take a course. You're going in to just like have fun and build something cool, but the process is incredibly educational. Oh
0: uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have a boatload of kids. I have 10 kids and, um, uh, how many are software? They could all kids? go to hackathons. No, well, They have, they have, some of them have been to hackathons. Um, Three of them are in the IT. Uh, three of my yeah. boys are in the IT space. And one of my daughters is in the IT space. Um, and um, it's interesting. I could tell you which ones are good programmers or not. I'm not going to say that on the show. <laughs> um, and, but they've had a lot of fun at the hackathons. Yeah. They absolutely have. And it's interesting because they told me, I learned more in a weekend hackathon on what it's like to work in the real world because yep. three, well, all four of those are in, are in the real world now working and they're going, I, I understand the rules and there's process and things like yep. that, that you go through. But the one thing they've all said, especially with COVID hitting, I miss the collaboration. Yeah. Um, so I'm almost thinking maybe there needs to be like a, a hackathon for, you know, us professionals. And that should be fine, right? We can go to hackathons yeah. too, right? That's not a problem. Yeah. Absolutely. It's funny, like, student hackathons
1: have definitely become the the norm. Um, when I was starting out and going to those events in New York, uh, most of the events were professionals. Like, I was actually one of the few students there, um, but it came kind of full 180, and now it's mostly students. I, I think hackathons are valuable regardless of someone's stage of their career. Like, the, the, the underlying concept, if you really distill it down, is, like, you're committing to a focused time and place to build something and that something could be a robot it could be a website it could be a mobile app it could just be like hey like i want to play around with like the chat gpt api and see what it does you know it doesn't really matter but like actually having the focused time and space and people around you doing the same thing creates this like really like unique environment
0: Who comes up with the project? Are they the sponsors? Do you guys have like a a catalog of, hey, here's, here's a whole bunch of things that you guys can do at your catalog to the yeah. chapter leader or the chapter... Yeah, you called them chapter leaders, right? Yeah, I mean, we call them organizers.
1: We or, call them okay. chapter leaders. They're, they're all the same thing. But so the projects are um, incredibly open-ended. Uh, when you go to a hackathon, typically the sponsors are offering prizes for different things. It could be maybe the best project that uses their API or the best project that, you know, is focused on social good. They could be broad categories. They could be technology specific. It really depends what the company is trying to accomplish, but that's a big part of these events is prizes. No one's required to use any of those. It's certainly a nice, you know, incentive, but um, people can really build whatever they want. Like, I mean, I use the examples like robot website, mobile app, like homemade self-driving car. Like I've seen all of those at hackathons. Like you you got such a mix of different things because you have a mix of different people, right? With different skills and interests. And one of the coolest things about it is like most of the project teams at these events are formed organically the day you arrive. So like you might get there on a Friday night, you don't know anyone. And then you just kind of like arbitrarily pick someone with a cool idea to work with for the weekend and you spend the next 48 hours together. And that can be like a lifelong bond, right? Like it's not uncommon for people to like literally like found startups together after meeting at a hackathon.
0: Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Can you tell me the most successful startup that's come from one of your hackathons? Or you're not at liberty to say.
1: No, I mean, I don't know what the most successful would be. One of my favorite ones is um, there was this team of high school students at one of our events um, who built this like prototype app that let you automate different tasks on your iPhone. So like when I get an email, copy it to Slack or something like that. Uh They built that out of the hackathon. They demoed. They won some prize. And I think like Four years later, Apple acquired their company and made it a core feature of iOS. So like literally that project that's like literally on um, millions of iPhones now <laughs> was first built when they were in high school at one of our hackathons. And I have this like demo video that I found once they got acquired where I was like, oh, yeah, they were like pretty nervous and, and you know, didn't really, uh, you know, they were, were not like the most excited to be showing that off. but But hey, it went somewhere really cool.
0: That's super cool because not only you're doing this at the hackathon, you you also have to present. You have to, so it's more than just writing code, which I love, right? You're developing something, not just writing code. It's, it's very different. Um, Yeah. I I mean, like you have
1: to, you gotta be able to like express your ideas and collaborate with people you've never met and, also turn that into functioning code.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and in, in, into something that works. Right at the end. Yeah. Right. Um, wh- wonderful. All right. So the big question: How do people find out more about this if they want to do hackathons in their area? Do they do they just try and find a, a chapter? Do they reach out to you? How How does this all work? Yeah. So these
1: days, people can go to our website, which is you know mlh.io. Uh, we have tons and tons of events for people to get involved with sponsorship opportunities to, you know, everything from attending to sponsoring and, and whatever you can imagine in between. Um, the one thing I would say, like, as you know, that we didn't really get too in depth on, but like, I honestly think that this is probably the best place to, to find interns and new grad talent. Like it's, it is, you know, they haven't quite yet, but I think they will pretty soon supplant career fairs as like the main source of campus talent, because you can't really compare getting a stack of resumes to seeing someone demo a project. I, and I agree. yeah,
0: or working. See, I think this is brilliant, right? Especially um, being in industry. If if I need to hire good programmers, I, I should tell my senior programmers, uh, you're on a hackathon this weekend. Yeah. And come back with five candidates from it yep. and sitting on teams with people, seeing how they work, mm-hmm. I think, and seeing if they can learn. It's a, to me, when I try and hire someone, I want to see if they're teachable. Yeah. If they can yep. pick up on things and learn new things or are they just stuck in their ways? This is brilliant.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the like most special things about it is that method of like sitting and seeing how someone works or seeing their demo allows people to differentiate themselves in real life when on paper, they might not be very differentiated. You know, like I went to a a state school in New York. It's a good school. It had a great computer science program, no complaints, but like I had a history degree and also no one would rank my school over like the MITs and Stanford's of the world. And so you know, a lot of people are at that, like, inherent disadvantage when you go through resume filtering systems and hackathons give them an opportunity to, like... Stand out. Yeah, to stand out and make a connection and, and get a job that they might not have otherwise had any chance at, at a cold, as a cold candidate.
0: I I, I, think, it's, I think it's a, a great idea. Um, I'm going to take that back to my management. Say, if we want to find good, you know, developers or whatever or solution architects, Let's go to some hackathons. These are people, I I don't know. If you're at a hackathon, it's because you are passionate about it. Yep. Right. You're not going to spend your weekend to do something that you hate. You're just not. Yes. There's definitely a love of the craft. Yeah. Oh, John, it has been wonderful talking to you. It's gotten me all all pumped up a little bit. I'm like, man, I want to go to a hackathon. I just, can I take a nap? Because I'm going to need a nap now. I'm too old to do 48 hours straight like I used to. Me too. <laughs> but we, we can get
1: you out to a hackathon. I, I think that would be great.
0: Oh, that, that it sounds like a lot of fun. So, John, thanks again for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, thank you. I, I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, Give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.